Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. It is a Wednesday, the middle of the week. It is December 20th, 2023, third week of Advent. Thank you so much for listening to EWTN. Looking forward to our show today. I hope you are as well. Steve Ray joining us, apologist, speaker, convert to Catholicism, and pilgrimage leader, and best-selling author as well. He is going to be talking about Bethlehem, walking us through Bethlehem at the time of Christ. I'll also have an update on what's happening over there. Now, if you've seen any of the stories, of course, it's it's very sad that there's absolutely no uh, public Christmas celebrations. Nativity Square is usually a big scene with beautiful music and lights and people coming from all over, which is just outside in Bethlehem of the church in the Nativity, and usually a lot of crowds and just gorgeous. But none of that this year because uh, the war rages on between Hamas and the state of Israel, but he'll give us an update on Bethlehem and take us back there to the time of Christ, which is always beautiful, as we must focus on the true, the beautiful, and the good. And then we head to Rome, the eternal city. Joan Lewis is back there, and she gives us an update on what's happening in terms of the response to that declaration regarding blessings that came out on a Monday and some other major stories in the news. So that is our show for today on a Wednesday. I also want to direct you to the website of my good friend, Father John Mercado. You know him from EW10 Radio, Ave Maria Radio, Acts 29, The Rescue Project. Every Wednesday, he sends out a beautiful message to his followers, and you can sign up by just going to acts29.org. It's the Roman numeral for 29. And he sends out a message based on the second reading of the upcoming Sunday. So the second reading for this Sunday, December 24th, obviously not the Christmas Eve Mass for Christmas, but the Sunday readings has to, has to do with Romans, uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 16, where he is reminding us, St. Paul is reminding us about what's coming. And so Father does a whole perspective on this and reminds us of, of what is being unveiled and to keep our eyes on that, which is happening, of course, coming up on Christmas Day, the Holy Day. So it's a really powerful message, and I think I'll try to share it uh, by the end of the week as we end in, go into the Christmas weekend. Depending on the breaking news and how things go, we will see. But I encourage you to go to the website, Acts 29. You can sign up for his emails, which are always very encouraging, very uplifting, and just so strong in terms of holding up the Catholic faith. So again, Steve Ray and Joan Lewis joining us today on a Wednesday. Let's take a look at the weather. The East Coast still can have some slowdowns, according to the National Weather Service, because of the rains and things. But here's what they're saying right now. They're also talking about California now getting hit with heavy rain. A series of storms will bring periods of heavy to excessive rain, mountain snow, and gusty winds to central and southern California. And heavy rainfall may produce some flash flooding and mud debris there as well. And then widespread river flooding will continue over the northeast and in portions of the mid-Atlantic this week. We'll also have an update in our news regarding travel in terms of the crowds and some advice from the experts. But let's get started because, as always, never a dull moment. Lots of news to get through this morning on this Wednesday morning. It's December 20th, 2023, and you're listening to EWTN. 
Vice President Kamala Harris announcing she will be embarking on a tour across the nation promoting abortion, beginning on the anniversary of the landmark Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade in January. As Catholic News Agency explains, in focusing on abortion, the vice president's tour is set to advance what Biden-Harris's re-election campaign says will be the central pillar of the campaign moving forward. She calls it the fight for reproductive freedoms. It was announced yesterday and will include events, according to CNA, focusing on the alleged harm of abortion bans. And that tour is set to begin in the battleground state of Wisconsin on January 22nd, 51 years after Roe v. Wade legalized abortion nationwide in 1973. Biden-Harris, meanwhile, as CNA explains, vowing to bring back the now overturned Roe v. Wade as a law of the land. The campaign recently launching a pro-abortion message in several swing states pledging to expand abortion access for women. A religious sister at the Holy Family Catholic Parish in Gaza speaking to Vatican News about the two parishioners killed by Israeli snipers on December 16th. This, as Lisa Zangarini tells us with Vatican News, as Catholic ordinaries are issuing new appeals for peace. Sister Nabila Saleh of the Holy Family Parish in Gaza was there on Saturday when Israeli snipers cold-bloodedly killed the two women. The nun told Vatican News that she feels heartbroken because she actually saw the incident and also because Israeli tanks have surrounded the church and shooting is constant, making it almost impossible to go out of the building even to find food. She said snipers are everywhere and tension is constant, while the compound has no electricity and drinking water. Sister Nabila explained that the parish community didn't expect an escalation of the fighting around the church because even before the outbreak of the bombings on Gaza, Israeli authorities had been warned that almost the entire Gazan community is sheltered there. Here there are no weapons and there are no Muslims, she said. The church is also sheltering seven people injured during Saturday's incident who need treatment. Given the ongoing fighting in the area, the Red Cross hasn't so far been able to offer help. The political leader of Hamas is in Cairo today, meanwhile, to speak with Egyptian leaders about the Israeli hostages and a possible ceasefire. Egypt helped negotiate a week-long ceasefire that was back in November that saw over 100 hostages released in exchange for 240 Palestinian prisoners. Hamas did not provide details on the talks. Yesterday, Israeli President Isaac Herzog telling a group of ambassadors that Israel is willing to take another humanitarian pause in the Gaza war to enable the release of hostages and added the responsibility lies fully with the leadership of Hamas. And Brian Shook tells us the U.N. Security Council now delaying a vote regarding the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. On Tuesday, the council met to vote on a resolution that called for an immediate ceasefire and to scale up humanitarian aid in the region. However, after intense negotiations, the vote was postponed and is now expected to take place Wednesday. Similar resolutions have all been opposed by the United States. Meanwhile, talks around another hostage deal appear to be at a standstill. The FBI says hundreds of false bomb threats made to Jewish facilities over the weekend likely came from outside of the U.S. The Anti-Defamation League saying over 400 Jewish facilities receiving false bomb threats over email since Saturday. The FBI says the perpetrators appear to be connected because of similar language in the messages. The Bureau adding that none of the email threats so far has involved any actual explosives or credible risks. 
Mark Mayfield tells us former President Trump says a move by the Colorado Supreme Court to ban him from the election next year is a completely flawed decision. The Colorado Supreme Court said on Tuesday that he violated the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban on January the 6th, 2021, when he encouraged violent demonstrations at the U.S. Capitol. Trump had earlier won similar cases in Michigan and Minnesota and will be on the ballot in those states. With regard to Colorado, Trump said he will swiftly file an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court, which means his name would automatically remain on the ballot until resolved. At least 130 people have been killed by a Chinese earthquake. The magnitude 6.2 earthquake struck northwest China Monday night, leaving nearly a 1,000 hurt in remote mountainous villages. Chinese authorities saying on Tuesday rescue teams were working in sub-zero attempts to help those hurt and those who had lost their homes in the quake. Local officials say thousands of buildings were damaged by the quake and dozens of roads buried by landslides. The quake is reportedly China's deadliest since 2014. Phil Farrar tells us the city of San Diego ramping up for back-to-back storms, and they say they can use help from residents. City officials say the storm patrol team has been cleaning more than 46,000 drains the past few days. That's to make sure there's no clutter, which could lead to flooding when the rain hits the ground and runs off. San Diego City spokesperson Ramon Galindo says you play a big part in this, too. They can prepare by sweeping and picking up trash around their home, leaves, grass clippings. The city will also hand out 10 sandbags to each person at 11 recreation centers centrally located in each city council district. You'll have to supply the sand, buying it from quarries or home improvement stores. A pilot and photographer are dead after a news helicopter crashed in New Jersey. Authorities say the Action News Philadelphia helicopter went down in a state park around 8 p.m. last night as crew members are returning from an assignment at the Jersey Shore. Federal authorities are now taking over that investigation. Sarah Bartlett tells us more than a million patient records may have been exposed after a data breach at a Richmond-based company. The United Network for Organ Sharing says the breach happened during two software tests and that 1.2 million patient records may have been exposed. Those records include information like date of birth, social security numbers, and medical procedures. Names and addresses were not included. The nonprofit science and education organization says it has notified the Health Resources and Services Administration about the breach and the investigation and analysis continues. And with Christmas just a few days away, police around the country are renewing their call for folks to be very aware of those porch pirates. For example, in southeastern Michigan, three men arrested this week after being caught stealing packages from several homes. If it wasn't for a resident seeing a suspicious vehicle and then someone calling in to say, hey, I had some stuff stolen off my porch, this case would not have been solved this quickly whatsoever. Police, police say the thieves hit nine homes in the southeastern Michigan town before being caught. They're between the ages of 22 and 24. Police say people calling in tips if they see something like this happening is a key to getting the crime solved. Aaron Rial tells us media marketing giant Cox Media Group claiming it has the capability to listen to ambient conversations of consumers through embedded microphones and smartphones. According to a review of Cox Media Group marketing material by 401 Media, it's called Active Listening. 
CMG Group claims the capability can identify potential customers based on casual conversations in real time. Until now, there was no evidence that such capability actually existed, but claims about the tech do raise legal concerns. However, CMG's website says, quote, it is totally legal for phones and devices to listen to you. That's because consumers usually give consent when accepting terms and conditions of software updates or app downloads. CMG responded to the article saying CMG businesses do not listen to any conversation or have access to anything beyond third-party aggregated, anonymized, and fully encrypted data sets that can be used for ad placement, essentially passing the ball and the blame onto third-party apps. Google agreeing to pay $700 million to states and consumers in an antitrust settlement. California Attorney General Rob Bonta says Google violated federal and state antitrust laws with anti-competitive behavior. That includes preventing other app stores from being preloaded on Android devices. That means buying off companies who may have launched rival app stores to Google Play Store. In California, among all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands that joined in on that settlement. And AAA says if you are traveling this Christmas weekend, be prepared for lots of crowds and get there early because they're predicting this holiday season will be the busiest ever for air travel, with tomorrow and Friday likely to be the most active days of departure. The record for airline travelers set back in 2019 when over 7 million flyers crowded the airports. AAA predicting that record will be broken this year. Weather forecasters are expecting good traveling conditions across much of the U.S., though some cities such as Boston, New York, and Atlanta could face rain delays, and developing storms could also create turbulence in the Pacific Northwest and in the Southern Plains. The little town of Bethlehem, Steve Ray, takes us there takes us actually back some 2,000-plus years ago at the time of Christ. We'll return on a Wednesday morning. Stay tuned. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and lighthouse work. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile. 
everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com Welcome back, Catholic Cashin. Always great to catch up with my dear friend Steve Ray, and I had the chance to chat with him briefly and his beautiful wife Janet last night. Uh, it was great to see them in person and give them a big Christmas hug in southeastern Michigan. Okay, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's so important to get rid of some of those myths that are out there. People like to tell these stories and think they know so much about Jesus and, and his birth in Bethlehem. Steve Ray, of course, really needs no introduction. You know his great work from EW Chen and Ave Maria Radio, EW Chen Television, Ignatius Press, his brand new book on Genesis, which came out recently. Oh my goodness, his pilgrimages to the Holy Land and all over the world and his many talks, his website, catholicconvert.com and also Footprints of God. Steve has been to the Holy Land, what I'm thinking over 200 times now, right, Steve? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you know Bethlehem. We've led a hundred We've led a hundred pilgrimages, but we've been there, Janet and I, together over 200. Over 200 times, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right. So take us back to Bethlehem, first of all, because there are so many myths out there. I think a big myth was that people talk about him being born in a stable or a barn. Yeah, that's because, you know, Americans, we read the Bible with American eyes. And unfortunately, that's a disadvantage. Um, it's called anachronism, where we look at what the way we live, and then we read it back into the story of the Bible. But the reality mm-hmm. is it wasn't a barn with red you know, wood on it and a silo, but it was a cave. They didn't have red barns back in the first century. They had caves. And I've been to Bethlehem many times. And mm-hmm. when we filmed our movies, we went in the, way out into the wilderness beyond Bethlehem. And there's still to this day caves all in the side of the hills. And in all of them, you find that it has a black roof because of the soot of fires that have been burned in those caves for hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years as shepherds and people lived in those caves and kept their sheep there at night. And they have on the ground of those caves things that look like raisins, but they're not because this is where sheep lived and they kind of very unsanitary, actually. But it's right from the very beginning, it was understood that it was a cave that Jesus was born in and then the church was built over that cave. And uh, so it wasn't a barn. It was a cave. It's interesting because, you know, if you look at it, and you know this from being to Italy, to Italy many times, as we have, you see the different crush scenes from Italy. And all the very, they don't use actually any image of a barn. It's always a cave. Yep. Yeah, it is. And, and I really like the ones that go out of their way to kind of create the atmosphere of inside of a cave, you know, because that's really uh, the way it was. You know, <laughs> it's interesting that in the wilderness outside of Bethlehem, we found Bedouins that live in mm-hmm. the caves with their sheep. They they live right with the animals. In fact, the animals provide the warmth, the uh, you know, the heat that comes off the animals. And um, it's you know, we cannot comprehend living that way, but we found it many times out in the wilderness where the families lived with their sheep in the same cave, different section. But, um, but it, yeah, it's much more primitive than we realize. And we always read our American life and culture back into those times. But that's one of the beauties of going on a pilgrimage is to go out and see the way it really was. To get the reality uh, the of it. first century. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. absolutely. We're talking with Steve Ray about Bethlehem and Nativity Miss this morning on Catholic Connection at EWTN. Okay, myth number two. We really have no idea where Jesus was born. Who came up with that one? 
Well, a lot of people, there are skeptics all the time, as you know, Teresa, that try to debunk things and make a name for themselves. And, and around Easter and Christmas, all the time in magazines and articles and on TV, you've got these shows. But they're acting as though we've discovered something new. Jesus wasn't born there. or something. This, There's these kind of things all the time. Um, but first of all, where was he born? Bethlehem, and then in a cave. So let's deal with the Bethlehem issue first. Even from back to about 600 years before the time of Christ, the prophet Micah said, mm -hmm. I'll sing the first line, O little town of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. It's actually, Bethlehem, you are too little to be among the tribes of Judah, but from you shall come the great king. So even Herod and the, the uh, Jewish leaders knew that the baby was going to be born, the king was going to come from Bethlehem. And so that, that we know that that's where it was, is Bethlehem. And also there's two Bethlehems. There's another one in the north. That's why it's called Bethlehem of Judea. So then and, uh, born in a cave. This We mentioned this already a little bit, but even from the very beginning, not only did they have sheep in caves, that's where sheep were, and manger, the word manger mean in French is manjori, which means to eat. It's a mm -hmm. place where sheep eat. So that is a big key to us because it's, a, you know, really unsanitary. You know, when sheep and animals chew their food, the saliva slops all over and it's a big mess. I, I was raised on a farm, so I know these kind of things. But even in the early writers, there's a Justin Martyr talked about the cave origin who lived in in the Holy Land, who lived in that area, talks about the cave. And he said, in Bethlehem, if you go there, and this is in the very first centuries, I think he was in the 200s, in Bethlehem, you are shown the cave where he was born, and within the cave, the manger where he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Jerome also, who in the 300s, he lived in those caves. That's where he translated the Hebrew and the Greek into the Latin Vulgate. And Jerome said that the, the, in the caves in Bethlehem, he describes the caves and where Emperor Constantine built a basilica over those caves. So we always knew where they were. But if you would have come there in the early first or second century, say, and you mm -hmm. saw you came to Bethlehem, say, I want to see the place where Jesus was born, and I read about it. Is it real? You'd find a little boy in the street and say, "Little boy, do you know where Jesus was born?" He said, "Come with me, Mister. Come with me." And he'd take your hand and he'd lead you over to the cave because everybody knew where this happened. It was a it was a huge deal, mm -hmm. and uh, even John Doctor uh, Doctor of the Church John Chrysostom about three eighty nine wrote that people still at this late date come to see the place where he was born. Let's talk about the, the basilica built on the site. Yeah, it was built there, I think, 324. Um, you couldn't build churches before 313 because they were, Christianity was an illegal mm -hmm. religion and you couldn't. But after 313, when Constantine um, legalized Christianity and then shortly after it became the religion of the empire, actually, after that they started building churches. And the first ones built there, some in Rome, John, St. John Lateran was one of the first, but um, Helen... Queen Helen came to Israel to the land of Judea, uh, called Palestine at the time, uh, in that in those centuries, and she discovered those places. Emperor Hadrian, who was reigning in 135 A.D., he built um, pagan shrines over the Christian sites to obliterate Christianity. But all he did was mark them. So when she came, they said. Jesus was crucified and buried and rose again under that pagan shrine. He was born under that pagan shrine. She knocked him down, found the caves and, the, and all the historical evidence underneath those pagan shrines. 
Emperor Hadrian had only marked them for us, <laughs> kind of like mm-hmm. put them on the map. Yeah. And so then she built these beautiful, four beautiful churches. One was over the uh, crucifixion and, and tomb. Another one was um, Bethlehem. Another one was on the top of the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended into heaven and and uh, Potter Noster. And then another one that people don't realize that they built was in Hebron over the place where the angel three messengers came to Abraham when he was in mm-hmm. his tent in Genesis mm-hmm. 18. They built a church there too. So we knew because even after that, she came and discovered the places and built churches and nobody ever denied it after that because those churches are built there and we've been going to the same ones ever since ever since yeah and we have about a minute and a half left before our break any any news yet in terms of things are um are pretty quiet right now they're not having any celebrations unfortunately in bethlehem because of the war any idea any sense steve because you're so connected as to when pilgrimages might resume any ideas well we lost november december january and um, delta canceled their flights through february 4th I have a group going to Jordan and Israel at the end of February. So I'm still hoping that one flies, but it's iffy. We're waiting to see. Um, it is getting quieter there now. And what people don't realize, Teresa, is that the, the fighting in Gaza is down in the south. It's, right. not, it's not around Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Right. It's in the south, down by the Egyptian border. That's where, all the, that's where all the fighting is going on. There is some in the north, too, because Hezbollah is making trouble up in the north on the northern border. But if you and I were in Jerusalem today or at the Sea of Galilee, we wouldn't even know anything was going on. It would be pretty much life as normal. And so um, it's the, they're winning that war against Hamas. And you don't see, you know, I, I'm locked into Jerusalem news, uh, news sources. And mm-hmm. every day I was getting 50 things, uh, missiles coming in here and here. That Those have stopped. That's almost non-existent anymore because Israel is putting that all out of commission. So mm-hmm. they're winning the war. It's going to slow down. And I'm hoping that we'll be back on pilgrimages soon. I hope so, too, because there's nothing like being there. And, you know, we're describing it, and it's giving me the chills, and I'm just grateful that I've been able to be there uh, so many times with you and Janet and Deacon Dom walking groups through Bethlehem and Galilee and Jerusalem. And, oh, my gosh, it's just incredible. More on Bethlehem and some of the myths out there. And Steve Ray is with us. We'll talk more about the birthplace of our Lord when we come back on a Wednesday. Stay tuned. Dr. Ray Garendi. Most experts don't think like you do. Go to the computer. Type in child, self-esteem, search. Last time I looked, 31 million options. The experts believe self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. Type in child, humility, search. Crickets. Why? When was the last time you heard a secular expert talk about humility? But that's at the very core of the virtues we want to teach our children. Always remember one thing. When an expert tells you how to raise your child, you have to ask a question. Is this expert of the same worldview that I am? Does he or she value the same virtues I want to impart to my children? Father Benedict Groeschel. 
awe. I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence, awe. I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh yes, let me say it. When I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man while the police were coming, the ambulance. They removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Eight minutes past the hour. It's a Wednesday morning. Always great to catch up with my friend Steve Ray, author, speaker, and fearless pilgrimage leader, CatholicConvert.com. Many books. His recent one by Ignatius Press on Genesis. It's a Bible study. It's awesome. He was on, I think, two segments on that wonderful book. You can find that at Ignatius, at the EWTN catalog, and also at Ave Maria's bookstore. Everywhere it's there. Okay, so we're talking about the myths around the birth of Jesus. Another one is that we think there were just three wise men. Uno, dos, tres. Where did we get that from? Well, because there's three gifts. And so you have the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And about only three wise men could fit in a manger. So I guess they were trying to make make it work. And and each one, you see three uh, camels arriving with them, each carrying these Christmas packages in their lap. Uh, But there has been through history as few as two or as many as ten. So we don't know. It doesn't say how many Magi or wise men there were. But I like the number three because of the gifts, and it's, uh, and it's very practical. Very um, Trinitarian, so, too. But we don't know how yeah. many there were. And their names were Melchior. Melchior, it's hard to say that one. It's M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R. Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Those are their traditional names, but that, those names didn't come until later. Right. I love those names, though. I, I, I love that. It's yeah, still, I think, yeah, it evokes a very warm feeling that you kind of know something about the Magi yeah. that visited Christ. Okay, so this and one I, is... I, go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to joke and say I love the name Balthazar, but I don't think my son would have liked me naming him that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one, is, this one is kind of, I think, uh, funny. The, the comments you make here. Can't be December 25th, one of the other myths, because it's winter and no sheep are in the fields. I love what you said. Whoever decided this must live in Minnesota. That's funny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I've been to this um, in December and there are sheep, but they have to eat. And I know that you could give them hay. And like when I was on a little farm, we had bales of hay and we fed our animals, but they were still out in the winter. And I'm in, I live in Michigan like you do. And it's very cold. There's snow on right. the ground today for those who aren't in Michigan. And we had animals. And they were always outside. We would throw the hay out into the fields and the horses. And we had a cow and we had all the goats and all these things. And they ate outside and the, the weather didn't bother them. So to say that the, it can't be December 22nd because it's too cold for sheep to be out. Remember, God gives them these really woolly coats. And when we want to wear warm coats, what do we do? We make them out of wool. So these animals, they did live in the fields year round. I've been out there. I can have my friends send pictures if anybody wants to know. My friends in Bethlehem will send you pictures. But um, even there's a passage in the Mishnah, which is the tradition of the Jews from the early, I think this uh, first, second century. And it talks about the sheep being out in the fields 
during um, during this period of time is Passover, which is a lot of times very cold too in February. Remember when you and I were there in March mm-hmm. and we were walking mm-hmm. the Via Della Rosa? What were yep. we wading through, Teresa? Snow. S- snow. And we ice. never thought that maybe Jesus could have been crucified in a snowstorm because that year when we were there, our feet were soaking wet and cold. But it was it was right near Passover time and where Jesus was crucified, and we we're in March wading through the snow through Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and that sounds like another application from from an American point of view. Everybody thinking that everything has to be as it is here in the United States. Yeah. That's, we, we Americans sometimes think that way, then everything has to be, or we're the center of the world and everything revolves right. around us. Right. Or, 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 yeah. The world is like, really, we're a bubble. It, the rest of the world is not like America. America is very unusual in many ways. Mm. Uh, myth number five, we shouldn't celebrate, this is a big one, I've heard this quite a bit, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's based on a pagan festival. Yeah, and there's. I, I don't want to waste a lot of time getting buried in the weeds of all the. Saturnarius was a winter solstice um, a festival, and there was a lot of others. And it, we also say that Easter was a pagan festival, and Christianity fell for it or took, you know, kind of got take over these. But the reality is, is that Christianity doesn't become pagan because it celebrates something on that day. Rather, it redeems paganism. And even if it is on a pagan holiday, Christianity redeems it and gives those pagans, say, who were celebrating maybe Saturnarius, now they can say, well, you know what, we can celebrate, and still celebrate, but now we're celebrating the real thing, which is Christmas and the birth of Christ. For example, Jesus in, in those days, you, you stayed away from lepers. They had to go through the streets saying, unclean, unclean. But Jesus went and embraced the lepers. He touched them. He healed them. He didn't become a leper because he embraced them. Rather, they became holy. They became pure and healed. Christianity paganizes. Uh, Christianity redeems paganism. I like the pa- the passage where Paul is going through Athens and he sees all the altars to the gods right. and there's one to an mm-hmm. unknown, unknown god. god. And instead of instead of criticizing them, he praises them for their religiosity, for their desire to know God and he says, "You know what? I'm going to tell you the name of that god." So he this is in a way um Paul redeemed that statue in a way. So Christianity does not become pagan because we even if we do celebrate on what was formerly a pagan holiday, we redeem that we redeem pagan it. holiday right. and we make it Christian. Exactly. All right. Since we only have about two minutes left, I can't believe it's gone by so oh quickly. My. Let's do let's do the last one, number seven. And this one is is relatively okay. new. Or even some uh, Catholic yes. commentators are trying to say this is true. Where the heck they got this idea? I have no idea. But lambs were wrapped in swaddling bands, thus pointing to Jesus as a Lamb of God. Right. It, it's only recent, and, it, and it's not true either, that uh, that lambs... First of all, you, the Passover lamb had to be perfect and unblemished. So this is a great story, you know. And, and sometimes things, when they're too good to be true, they are. And that here's the way it goes, is that in order to make a lamb perfect and, and uh, without spot or blemish, you'd wrap him to protect him. And <clears throat> therefore, when you sold him to be a Passover lamb, he was perfect. But if, you are a pa- if you're a lamb and you're wrapped up in swaddling clothes, how do you nurse from your mother? I, 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 when we had animals, they went under their mother and they pushed up at the teats there and then the utter and they followed their mother around if they're wrapped up in swaddling clothes how in the world is a lamb going to eat when it's a baby um i would also recommend people look at um father longenecker dwight longenecker mm-hmm, that's book. a great he's book, got a yeah. new one out 
the secret of the Bethlehem shepherds. And he, uh, he deals with this. He went out and even asked the shepherds, do you do this? And they laughed. They said, no, we do it with our babies. We don't do it with our lambs. So the, the idea was, is that this is the story is that that's what the shepherds were told to go find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that's, oh, they knew what that meant. They knew because they wrapped their sheep in swaddling clothes. Then we see Jesus. Oh, he must be the lamb of God. It's a great little story, but like so many other things, it's not true. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, did you put it, you always are so great in providing this information. Is there a blog or a link on your website that we can take a look at if folks want to go back over these myths, facts, and fiction? Well, I didn't put these up. I'm still kind of developing them. I'm mm-hmm. still, I'm going to work on them. So, um, but I do have on my blog, you just do a search, go to catholicconvert.com. There's a search bar, do type in myths. And I have seven myths, general myths that and a couple of these are in there, but I have the myths that the, um, that the, there was a, um, a gate called the, what's it called? The eye of the needle at, um, there's, so I have, let's see how many of them here. Oh, and that there's another one that's the shepherds break the legs of a wandering lamb to keep it close to them. And so uh, it's called six biblical myths debunked. So if you, okay, but this this new one, this one I did, Teresa, you're the first one I've ever done this with, and I'm still developing it. Exclusive, heard first right here on Catholic Connection, <laughs> as we used to say in the news business. All right, we're hoping to catch up with you to do another special for Epiphany, which I think is awesome. Steve, Merry Christmas to you and Janet and your beautiful family, and God willing, talk to you in the new year. More information on Steve for him to speak or to lead a pilgrimage, catholicconvert.com. We'll be right back. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The ninth commandment: You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We already discussed in the sixth commandment the problems of sexual sins themselves, but what the Lord is teaching here is rooted in the word covet. To covet means to inordinately or inappropriately desire something or someone, and in this case, the Lord is saying to us that we are in no way to covet, to look with lust at another person, particularly our neighbor's wife, but others in general, and that therefore all pornography and things like that have to go, all entertaining of lustful thoughts has to go, and God can help us by His grace to do that. And therefore, in this commandment, He summons us to take authority over our thought life and our sexual passions. The ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends. And yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. 
Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. minutes past the hour, wrapping up a Wednesday, as we always do, with our very own Joan Lewis, CWTN's Joan Lewis and Jones Rome, back in the Eternal City. So I've been uh, looking a lot to keep my spirits up at the beautiful Vatican display, Nativity display, and it's just so lovely, and the lights, and Rome is always gorgeous at Christmas time. It's gorgeous, period, but especially in this season. So the Nativity scene, I think, let's talk about that first. Good morning, good afternoon, thanks for joining us. Hello there, yes. Well, you know, one of my favorite places for many, many years, and I've been there several times, is Greccio, Italy, where um, St. Francis set up what we're now referring to as the original nativity scene, you know, 800 years ago in 1223. And and just, I just always loved it. I love the simplicity, just Mm -hmm. being out in the countryside, and it just put everything... Um, in a wonderful perspective, this was not a nativity scene in a town where traffic and all this kind of stuff is rushing around you and you can't think. You do think of Christmas and the birth of Jesus at the nativity scene. And the Vatican, I haven't been over there since my return, but I have seen pictures of the one in St. Peter's Square, and the Vatican has replicated it. And then there's a, there was a wonderful picture on the Vatican website about the, the, today's audience with the Pope, um, because, of course, he spoke about nativity scenes. But mm-hmm. And then it showed the Pope in his wheelchair before. There's always a tree and a nativity scene on the stage in the Paul VI Hall. And, of course, you notice Jesus, Mary, and ba- uh, baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and then St. Francis and St. Clair in that nativity scene. Just, uh, again, very, very simple, and that's really how we want to see it. Right. I mean, talk about a simple, humble birth that describes the birth of Jesus, and it's just so simple. We don't have to add anything to it. But, well, that's um, what St. Francis was trying to do, to bring the Holy Land to the people uh, of Italy, because he knew the vast majority yeah. of them would never, ever get there in, in his day and time. And when you go to Greccio, I mean, you're talking about you are in the middle of nowhere. You're in northern Lazio, and it's about, what, an hour and a half away from Assisi. Well, There's a yeah. hermitage there, but it is so beautiful. I mean, you can't even, it's hard to describe, and I would recommend to anyone, because it's not usually on pilgrimage tour, you know, uh, itineraries, we do it. We, right. we take people off the beaten path places, and we've done it twice now, and it's been just a huge hit. But it is just, you get that sense of a starry night and the, the countryside of yeah. Israel. You get that feeling there. Somehow, if a shepherd were to walk into the scene with a couple of little lambs or something, you you almost wouldn't be surprised. Right. It's it's just that conducive to that, to that kind of a setting. So, mm-hmm. um and the, you know, Pope said today at the audience, the nativity scene teaches simplicity and joy. And think about the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of my colleagues at, here at EWTN um, had a little baby boy on the 8th. And I mean, the simplicity, not, not that birth, I have not given birth, not that birth is simple, but, but in a way it really is. But it does bring such great joy. You know, and just imagine, you know, Mary and Joseph and then all the people who heard about the Savior being brought into the world and the shepherds coming and other people and um, just, and of course, the three kings, etc. So, 
uh, joy. That's what we want. That's what we need, Teresa. We so need this time of year. Mm-hmm. With so much of the negative news coming out from around the world, I mean, you know, wars and and everything like that, and then just political things and things coming out even from, from the Vatican that can be very upsetting to people. Mm-hmm. So we need to just kind of turn off the sound and and walk through wherever you can, walk to your local parish, whatever it might be, that has the nativity scene and ponder it. And, yeah. of course, there's thousands of them in Italy. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. Every, yep. You could spend literally an entire week in Rome at this time of year just going to the churches, the local parishes that set up their nativity scenes. And some of them are very, very elaborate. Mm-hmm. So... Um, put a lot of time in it and a lot of time and thought for something this important, you know. Absolutely. And again, I I think the whole idea of the simplicity and and getting back to basics, that you really feel that when you go and just just ponder in front of a nativity scene, whether you're uh, in Italy or Israel or wherever you are, that should be the focus. And Father John Ricardo from Acts 29 and, of course, uh, Ave Maria and EW10 puts out an e-blast every Wednesday based on the second reading for the upcoming Sunday. And this Sunday, the 24th, is on in Romans. And he's talking about how St. Paul is telling us what's being unveiled. And he reminds us, okay, despite everything that's going on in the world, all the disappointment that we've seen, the confusion in the church, the wars and, and all of that, he said, do not let this steal your focus from what's happening on Christmas. It was really, really beautiful. There have been wars for thousands of years, and yet um, the faith has survived. Jesus is with us. He's with us through those wars. It may not seem like it at times, but he is always there. He's our focus. And we really can't allow ourselves to forget that in the midst of everything else that assails our senses and our sensitivities. We just can't. Mm -hmm. Can't forget Mm -hmm. him. Yes, and, and we can't lose our joy and let the, the situations lose our joy, but we uh, steal our joy. But we have to be aware. We don't walk around with you know our no, heads uh, no, exactly. blindfolded and, and our heads in the sand. So let's talk about what's been the response uh, in, in Rome. I mean, it's, it's gone crazy here with the secular media, as you know, because I know you've been monitoring the situation with the declaration that came out on Monday, so supposedly clarifying the situation with blessings. Well, you, you know, I mean, it's been pretty much everywhere. I mean, here, like it has been in the States, in the sense of people decrying um, a, a wrong interpretation of blessings. How could the Pope and, and Cardinal Fernandez say and write this, and then others who are overjoyed? Um, oh, for heaven's sakes, you know, you've got the headlines going all the way to the, you know, uh, Vatican approves homosexual couples. Well, of course, you have to read the document entirely, and there there were, you and I talked about it, and I think we published links to them, there were some very good sites that very honestly, very thoroughly looked at the document that came out from the Vatican. But, you know, I, I did a blog on it that day, and this is my, my first day back, and um, you know, working day back, and... Um, I said, no wonder people are confused about church doctrine, because all you have to do is go online just within hours after the breaking news, uh, Teresa, you know, the, the, the newspapers and blogs and everything else. Um, and and I, I just think the speed with which the declaration hit the newsstands was, was totally remarkable. 
Um, and at the time I wrote, it was not yet up on the webpage of the of the Dicastery for Doctrine of the Faith, but um, I did post the the links, the Vatican link to that site. And um, but the interesting thing is, I looked at it as um, then and now, blessing gay unions. Then, 2021. Here's an article, an AP story based on Vatican news, of course. Vatican bars gay union blessing says God can't bless sin. Well, I guess in two years we've gone from God can't bless sin to yes, he can. Uh, well, the they're saying that they're not, and this is where the, the confusion comes. And Dr. Monica Miller, whom we both know well, did an interview locally, and she was saying it has to be explanation because they're claiming no liturgical settings, a very simple blessing, right. nothing having to do with marriage or the, or the sexual relationship. But if you're blessing a couple in an irregular situation, how do you not bless their relationship because they're a couple because they're in a relationship? So how do you figure that one out? That That's the confusion. And, and this is where I think what I'm really concerned about, among many things, obviously the media messaging, which is already out there. It's off the tower, as we say in broadcasting. But this is going to fall, and I've talked to many, many priests in my own archdiocese, on the local priests and pastors to figure this yeah. out. Well, I mean, I think uh, what we have to look at, too, is um, you and I have discussed this vis-a-vis uh, -vis other matters. Perception is reality for yes. millions of people. So the Vatican approves homosexual relationships will be the title, is the title of many articles. And, and people aren't going to go into the article itself, and they aren't going to go in, certainly not going to go into the document, you know. So um, the perception is reality that the Vatican approves something that two years ago it banned. So, um, and but my question is, I have a lot of questions about the priest, for example. If a priest is now asked uh, to bless a couple, maybe he doesn't even know, maybe he suspects the two people in his parish, you know, um, are a same-sex couple, and they come up to him, and now they ask to be blessed. And by the way, we should stress that the dicastery did not come out with a specific blessing. Right. Um, they, so, I mean, a priest can say, I bless you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, or he can add 20 more words or whatever he wants to. But what happens when a priest is very uncomfortable with this? Blessing a relationship that he doesn't approve of. Why would you bless anything you don't approve of? Well, that so, and also um, I was talking to another priest. I won't say his name, but a very prominent priest. And, and he said well, he's never known in his years of, of priestly ministry, and he's been a priest for, I think, almost 30 years now, where someone to come to him to ask for a blessing when they know the church doesn't agree with their situation. I mean, what? You know, right. Right. Exactly. And, but you know what also struck me as I was reading this? I, had, I thought my brain was, was going to explode at a certain point because so many thoughts came simultaneously as I was reading the document. Um, for example, this was being written in, in this summer, long before the Synod began. And there's all these people getting up and talking about same-sex blessings. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the initials, um, LGBT, etc., were not even included in the interim document at the end of that synod. So why, why weren't people told at the beginning of the synod that very soon a document was going to come out on blessings for people in irregular situations, including, you know, same-sex relationships or unions? And a union is that. It's a relationship. It is not, as some people are saying online, that the priest will individually bless, 
you know, Joe over here and Jim over there. No, they're being, they're asked, they're asking for and receiving a blessing as a couple. So, um, but the document itself says, from a strictly liturgical point of view, quotation marks, a blessing requires that what is blessed be conformed to God's will. But, says the document, on the pastoral meaning of blessings, a pastoral view, this, this need not be so. So it does not need to conform to God's will. And, and just another reason why anybody reading the original document um, is going to be confused. Confused, so, yeah. Um, I pray for our faithful. You know what the teaching of the Church is. Don't forget that. I pray for our priests who might be asked now, maybe they never would have been asked previously, to, you know, buy a same-sex couple. Can you bless our union? Well, what do you do? I think many priests will be uncomfortable with this. And, of course, that is such a pity. Uh, Is a big news story going to come out if a Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what they're going to do? And you know, you and I know this in the media. They're, they're going to be showing up at churches with cameras and recording what, what happened. I, I can, we can write the lead paragraph right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's happened yeah. already, not in this particular instance, but it happened in my archdiocese with a priest that I know, and they wanted to get back at him because he was, he's very strong in the faith, not that he was attacking uh, same sex, people who are same-sex attracted, but he was holding up uh, the church teachings, and so they went after him, and they said it was, it was a mess. But I, I think we have to, again, I keep, this keeps coming to me, be aware, but don't despair. We have to know the situation. Yeah. We have to understand Beautiful. what the church teaching is, but we do not. And this is what Father John was saying in his message today, which I really needed to read. We do not despair, and we do not let it take away our joy, exactly. especially this week. But we be aware, because my concern is that a lot of people, and the reason they trust us so much is we have people like you and Father Mitch and others who can help us understand this. We're going into this weekend, and Dr. Bunsen said the same thing yesterday on this program. We're going into a weekend, we're going to see a lot of people, and a lot of people may not be as well educated as our listeners who understand the church teaching and may have heard this, and they may be questioning it or in support of what they think the church said. For me personally, I wouldn't get into any heavy discussions this weekend at Christmas time. I would say, you know what, let's talk about this afterwards. I've got some great resources, I'd love to answer your questions. But marriage is still marriage, and that has not changed. So I think that's the way we have to approach it lovingly. Uh, but especially yeah, not exactly. to take away from the beauty of Christmas this week. And Joan, we got to go. We're out of time already. 53 minutes past oh, the hour. No. Joan Lewis. <laughs> I know, right? Just 20 minutes just flew by. Check out Joan's great work, Joan's Rome at WordPress.com. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. 
More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic healthcare alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Read the gospel for today. We'll always read the readings, but... Reminds us of what we're focusing on this week. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Tomorrow, the amazing Father Mitch Paca will be joining us, of course, for our cultural connections. He'll have some reflections on the declaration from the Vatican and also a statement, of course, about cremation. And then another dynamic priest, Father Josh Johnson, will be joining us. So it'll be a great Thursday morning. We'll talk to you. Adomani. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.